Welcome to the Earth Food First podcast, where we're reimagining America's kid food culture to protect our children's whole health. That means body, mood, and mind. In our first guest series, we're talking to moms who have not only made the choice to feed their families differently than the standard kid food culture dictates, but have also built careers helping other parents do the same. Today's guest is Misa Pignataro, certified health coach, culinary nutritionist, and former first grade teacher with a master's degree in elementary education, who is also the mama of two amazing daughters. Now, if you've ever wished for a personal coach to help you feed your family in more healthful ways, consider Misa the fairy food mother you've been waiting for. As the founder of Misa's Clean Kitchen, she offers a variety of programs to help families raise healthy eaters in this highly processed fast food world. Misa loves empowering families to increase their kids' fruit and vegetable consumption in fun and creative ways while decreasing their sugar and ultra-processed foods. After our chat with Misa, you'll walk away with a deeper understanding of how healing or harmful foods can be for our kids, why it's critical we teach our kids to cook and how to do it, what common challenges families face when trying to embrace a whole food lifestyle, as well as tips to overcome those challenges, how the tastometer can break picky eating habits, plus many more actionable insights for using food to protect your children's true wealth, which is their health. Misa, hello, and thank you so much for spending some time here with us today. I know when you're a mom, time is extra precious, and we're just super glad to have you here. Thank you for having me. I have never been called the fairy food mama, so I love that. <laughs> that's, that's, as I got to know you, I was just like, if there was like this fairy food mother, I think it would be you. You just kind of encapsulate everything with, with your guides and the cooking classes, and, and I think that you could be that for a lot of people. Oh, so Thank you. <laughs> So before we kind of dive into the main course of the show, um, I want to just start with sort of an interesting little appetizer question, which is, what is the most delicious dish that you've eaten recently or ever that is what I call earth food forward, meaning made up of mostly whole foods? Yes. Well, I make a um, meat sauce loaded with veggies and pasta every week for my family. It's okay. very easy. It's quick, everybody loves it, and it's loaded with veggies. Um, it's a ground beef, but then it has shredded carrots, mushrooms, onions, garlic, spinach, zucchini, so there's six different vegetables in there. So it's definitely a veggie-forward meal with a, side, a small side of pasta versus a big side of pasta and a little bit of meat and veggies. It's kind of the opposite. That sounds delicious. Is that a recipe that people can find on your website? Yes. A veggie packed meat sauce, I think it's called. Okay. Love it. See, I love, there's all these ways to include so many vegetables, which we know are delicious in their own right. But as we're getting our children to understand that as well, we can still serve them their amazing pasta and we're uh, making it really nutrient rich. So thank you. And I'm excited to check that recipe out. I use a food processor, so the veggies okay. are very, very fine and um, small little bits, so it's 
uh, goes often, I mean, it's detectable, but the texture is important. Nice. Yeah. Great. And probably that just helps. I think a lot of kids, texture is such a big thing when they're learning to eat, especially different vegetables specifically that might have a more bitter flavor or something. And I find that like I'll cut Stella's celery like extra thin and she just eats them all. When I give them to her in fuller sticks, mm. usually not. So I think texture can, can really make a difference. Yes. Yeah. So I know I connected with you first um, on Instagram, and you shared this post that just caught my head, caught my heart, um, about your daughter and how you ended up using food to heal a diagnosis that she had received as an infant. Can you sort of uh, share that story and just to help our listeners get to know you a little bit and understand sort of the why behind the what you do? Yeah. I have two girls. My youngest was diagnosed with failure to thrive at one years old. She had fallen off the growth chart. She had a constant runny nose. She didn't start eating solid foods till she was two years old, so I was nursing around the clock. And our doctor at the time wanted us to get her tonsils and adenoids removed. And um, my mom suggested we go to a naturopathic doctor and get to the root cause of the constant runny nose. and um, So we went and we found out that she had a lot of food sensitivities. She was sensitive to gluten and dairy and soy and corn and just um, a long list of foods, all the foods I was eating at the time. And um, I was nursing, so I had to give up all those foods, which was really hard. And um, I thankfully found Danielle Walker from Against All Grain, and she opened up a whole world of possibilities to me because I I thought I was never going to enjoy food again, and the grocery store eight years ago didn't really have much in the way of packaged, healthy, gluten-free foods. Um, So I became really passionate about food as medicine. My daughter's thriving now. She's nine. (laughs) We still... Wonderful. Thank you. We still eat gluten-free. Um, she has corn on occasion, you know, soy on occasion, but we still do have a restrictive diet, but it doesn't feel restrictive because there are so many possibilities. Um, so I became a culinary nutritionist, got my health coach certification, and I was able to combine. I'm a former first grade teacher, taught first grade for 10 years. I was able to combine my love of kids and education and my new passion for nutrition and food and um, created Misa's Clean Kitchen. That is an amazing story. Thank you so much for for sharing that. Um, It's so interesting how some of our biggest obstacles lead us to the places we should we should be right and, and sort of able to serve from our high, from our highest selves. Um, I love that story. Um, so failure to thrive sounds really scary. When I read that, I was like, "What? What is that? Can you just what is that for for families that maybe not don't know?" She had just fallen off the growth chart. She wasn't growing. She wasn't developing the way that she should. I mean, she was this little. I think of babies being nice and like plump, <laughs> and she yeah. was just like a little stick, and she wasn't eating. I mean, she wasn't eating solid foods and. So she mm-hmm. had just not de- not developing the way that they should. And did her re- did any of the regular doctors did they mention food as a possible cause at all or no? No, 
She, the, she had swollen tonsils and adenoids, but they've never gotten infected. Her, her tonsils still are enlarged. Um, mm -hmm. They're going down a little bit, but they've never gotten infected. So the doctor that we're working with now has not recommended surgery. But so interesting. You make that shift from a doctor who was trained one way, right? The more Western way. And then to the holistic who looks at the whole human um, and it, it can just make all the difference, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you said you, besides becoming a certified um, nutrition coach, you also became a culinary nutritionist. What is that? So a culinary nutritionist is able to combine um, her knowledge with nutrition, with her skills in the kitchen. So as a culinary nutritionist, I think about, for example, someone who has a hard time sleeping. Um, I know cherries have melatonin in it, so I can think about ways to um, introduce melatonin into the diet. Uh, or, sorry, not melatonin, uh, cherries. So cherries are great in a smoothie. So it's just applying and helping families to um, thrive and create health through food and cooking skills together. I love that. That sounds right up my alley. Yeah. I didn't even know something like that existed. I've always loved food and, um, and now for my own health reasons have gotten very much into this like functional kind of food medicine space. So very interesting. I love, love learning that. Um, so it's, you know, you had this sort of life altering moment where your daughter was diagnosed with failure to thrive and through food, you were able to heal her. But there's so many people who, you know, thankfully are, have not had these life-altering experiences and been forced to change the way they eat. And yet, it's, it's, as we know, inflammation is a slow burn, right? Like our kids that are consuming 60 to 100 grams of sugar a day, they look fine and healthy now, but we're finding earlier and earlier in life, these kids are getting sick. Um, so in your opinion... How do we get people who haven't had sort of these really dramatic aha moments to truly understand that foods really do have the power to harm or heal? Yeah, that's a really hard question and something that I'm still thinking about. But um, I mean, the families that I work with now, kids have are struggling with energy levels. They have low energy they have a hard time focusing at school. They have a lot of meltdowns, um, just behaviorally. And then when we reduce the sugar and increase the whole foods in their diet, they do notice a difference. So that's just a small example of the way that food can make an impact on our health, our behavior, our energy levels, our focus, and help our kids to thrive, to thrive. So when you start working with families, pretty quickly you're saying that even though their children sort of just have the tip of the iceberg issues where it's like the constant meltdowns, the low energy, they kind of quickly start to see a change yeah. and that gets them on, on board or be, helps them start to become believers that the change is worth, I call it the change is worth the challenge, right? Because yeah. it, isn't, is it, it isn't easy. You know, we're not here saying, we're going to teach you the easiest way to feed your kids. It's, it's not the easiest way. Um, but I think for so many reasons, it's the worth it way. Yes, yeah. They become very motivated and inspired if they, they can see change really quickly. 
All right, so now we're going to play what I call Just One Thing, and we like to provide listeners with sort of a pop of value right from the top of the show. So I'm going to ask, if you could only gift our audience with one takeaway today, what would that be? Well, one of my mantras is to keep the adventure high and the pressure low. Um, And what I mean by that is to keep it fun, I have a taste-o-meter that I use with my family, with my clients, with my kids' cooking classes, and I turn trying new foods into a game. So instead of saying, try this, take a bite, which often turns into a battle and a nightmare, (laughs) um, I say, what do you rate it? And so if the kids want to play the game, they have to rate the food. They have to at least taste it. And for the younger kids, we do the thumbs down. I don't like it yet. I like to put the word yet there because we're all learning and maybe they'll like it in the future. It's okay, thumbs to the side, or they love it. And then for the older kids, it's zero through 10. But it's just a nice way to keep it fun. Um, So yes, and keeping the pressure off. One other example that comes to mind is a while ago, I brought home purple and white sweet potatoes. And my girls were used to just orange sweet potatoes. And um, my youngest was like not wanting to try <laughs> the purple and white sweet potatoes. And the taste-o-meter did not work <laughs> that time. That time. I mean, it usually... Not 100%. Not 100%, but it, it usually, usually works. But so I had to get creative. And um, I said, okay, everybody close their eyes and... Um, see if you can figure out which is the purple, which is the white, and which is the orange. And they were able to tell which is the orange one because that's what they were used to. And the purple and white one, they tried and they figured it out. So you have to get creative. You have to keep it fun. I love that taste-o-meter. Um, yeah, we printed it out. It's such a fun thing. Um, and it really does. It's just an easy tool. It's free, by the way, on Misa's, um, Misa's Clean Kitchen website. And it just helps your kids. We're not asking them, please taste it. We're asking them you know, to really kind of play this fun game and do this experiment and tell us, like, what is that rating? It's just, it's brilliant. So what kind of habits did your family have to adopt to feed your family in, you know, a fairly different way than I think is sort of America's classic kid food culture, which tends to be higher in sugar and processed foods? We meal plan together. I get my girls involved. And um, I find that when we have a plan, things are more successful, especially when my girls are younger. They wanted to know what we're having. I don't do a lot of meal prep, but I do get my kids involved in helping out. Um, Chopping veggies for the week is an easy way to turn vegetables into a convenience food when they're washed and chopped and in a clear glass container in the fridge at eye level, the kids can pull it out. Um, So just getting the kids involved. When I don't have time to plan ahead of time, I have some backup meals, so I'm not, you know, going to get takeout um, or reaching in for a frozen meal. I've got eggs are kind of my go-to, and then I always have turkey patties or grass-fed ground beef patties with some fruit or vegetables or just something easy when I don't know what to cook or I don't have time to cook. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it sounds like like planning a bit, 
to be able to adopt this like more whole food lifestyle has been pretty critical for you. So you work with families one-on-one, right? You also have guides available online. Um, I feel like a lot of families that I've worked with, um, there's these myths that kind of exist that our kid food culture in America have created. And a lot of the parents I work with initially, they, they, they believe them. And when I, you know, start working with them, I try to like unwind and rewire their brains a little bit. And so I'm curious with the families you've worked with, what are some of the common kind of kid food culture sort of myths that you help them to bust while you are coaching them to help them more successfully embrace this whole food lifestyle? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of parents think kids will be kids and kids can kind of eat whatever they want and grow out of it. Um, But I believe that the habits that we're creating now when our kids are under our roof and they're young are the habits that they're going to take with them through adulthood unless we intentionally stop the cycle and break the habit. So I think that... Um, it's important just to surround, create an environment in our household where fruits and vegetables and whole foods are the norm, and then kids will become to crave those foods. We crave what is in our environment, and we see that from what kids eat through around the world. They crave different foods based on their culture, and kids crave what is their norm for them. That's such a good point. I love that you brought up kids crave different foods in different cultures um, because it's so true. And, you know, in Korea, kids are eating kimchi, maybe not the spiciest kimchi, but they're used to those like sour, salty, savory flavors because it's, they're more prevalent in, in those cultures. Um, And yeah, I think it's so helpful for parents. If I say, I like to say that whatever we normalize becomes normal. And it's it's such a truth. Um, and I think so many parents have just been n- through no fault of their own. We live in this culture where you go to every kid's restaurant or every restaurant and every kid's menu is telling us kids like burgers, fries, pizza, and basically just these, you know, kind of high fat, high salt foods that taste good to frankly any palate. You don't have to learn to like those foods, right? Um, but then we, we assume they won't like other things. And so yes, surrounding them with the things we want them to eat. I think kids also get an emotional tie then to remembering that they always had this fresh food at home. I think that that can also help them. So in your opinion, I know that part of your program, um, you have these awesome cooking classes that people can sign up for online and, um, what is the most critical reason uh, for families to teach their kids to cook? Well, um, the whole reason I started my virtual kids classes is to expose kids to nutrient-dense foods and to show them that food can taste good and be good for us. I always thought growing up, I grew up in a macrobiotic home, um, our food was always bland and boring. It was healthy, but it was bland and boring. So that was kind Mm -hmm. of my idea of what healthy food was. Um, Mm -hmm. So I love showing kids that food can taste good and be good for us. It's a great way for kids to um, feel empowered in the kitchen. 
They're often so eager to dive into their creation because they made it. Um, our last class, we made chickpea chocolate chip cookies. Nobody had ever made cookies with chickpeas in it before. <laughs> um, but one of my favorite things that um, a student said to me was, I didn't think the cookies were going to taste good because they were made with all healthy ingredients, but they were dessert good. And I was like, yes. They were dessert yes. good. So that's, that's such a win. Yeah, I loved that. And that's definitely one of the reasons for my classes. <laughs> Along with giving these kids life skill, an, an important life skill of teaching them how to cook and getting them excited, I want my girls and everybody else to be able to leave their home with at least basic cooking skills so they can take care of themselves. Um, it's hard to create health if you don't know how to cook. <laughs> and, I, and I love that. That's a quote, right? It's hard to create health if you don't know how to cook, especially in this world that we're living in today where cooking didn't, didn't used to be an option. It, there wasn't all this convenient food to just go grab. And it's true. If we don't teach our kids that critical life skill, they get out in the world and they are unarmed. Like they don't have the interest. They don't have the actual technical ability. Uh, so I know in, in several other cultures, again, I love to look at what other cultures are doing. They look at cooking as critically as teaching your kids to read and write and walk and talk because it really is like the singular thing that allow us to control what goes in our bodies and ultimately control our health. Um, so that's, I love the work you're doing is super important. Oh, thank you. And you can get kids started at any age, as soon as they're, you know, standing, <laughs> they could yeah. stand on a learning tower on the Island and just like watch you and hold a wooden spoon and stir or add a pinch of salt. There's so many, it doesn't have to be this big elaborate thing when they're mm -hmm. little, it could just be ripping, um, lettuce or washing something very basic yes. skills at the beginning when they're little. Yeah, yeah. One of the, the, the two like things I would always have Stella do starting at like two years old, really, she would stand in her learning tower, which for families that don't have a learning tower, they are, if my house burns down, I'm like taking my learning tower because it's one of the best things. But um, I would cut carrots or whatever vegetable and then give her the bowl and just tell her to put them onto the cookie sheet that we were going to roast them in. And I mean, it's such a simple thing. She felt so involved. And then I would give her little bowls of spices and I would have her season at will and she would taste all the things, the cumin and the, you know, and there's these little micro tasks that they feel so seen, I think, and so included. And then they absolutely want to try the food more readily, I, I think. So, um, so I, I know that many parents, you know, they want their kids to eat healthy foods. Um, but there's a lot of chatter, especially on social media that pressuring, pressuring them too much, uh, or to eat healthy foods or talking about healthy foods versus unhealthy foods can kind of create this disordered eating. Um, and so some people are subscribing to this like food is food method um, versus talking about healthy food versus unhealthy food. What is your method when it comes to raising children that have a truly healthy relationship with food? Um, well, I don't 
refer to food as good or bad because I don't ever want my girls to feel guilty or shame when they do eat bad food, <laughs> um, right. less optimal food, unhealthy food. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and when my girls were younger, before they were in school, I was pretty strict about what they eat because it was easy for me to control. I don't think I introduced mm-hmm. sugar until my daughter went to preschool and they started celebrating birthdays in preschool and I felt like I didn't have a choice. Um, yeah. But as they enter school, it does get harder and I I like to control the controllables inside my home. I'm intentional, intentional <laughs> about what we bring into the home. We don't bring in foods with refined sugars or food dyes or Um, But we still enjoy treats. It's just treats with cleaner ingredients, or we make our own treats. And um, when they do leave the house and go to birthday parties, they are, it's a good opportunity to learn and help them connect what they eat to how they feel. And so they can make their own choices as they grow up. my girls, we call it a sugar bomb when we eat like a ton of sugar all at once. Um, birthday parties, it's like some birthday parties, there's cupcakes and juice and ice cream and candy and, and things like that. So they've kind of learned to try one, have one treat, like a cupcake and drink some water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then they know that eating a ton of sugar is going to lower their immune system and just make them feel crappy. So, yeah, it's just a learning experience. And when they do eat a lot of sugar um, and they don't feel well, it's not to, it's just helping them get curious and not to have them feel guilty or shame for choosing to do that. It's how we all learn. Yeah, there's really no substitute for experiencing something yourself, right? All right. So, at this point in our show, we're going to play top three where I ask your top three pieces of advice for three different questions. Are you ready? Yes. (laughs) Okay, let's do it. All right. Can you share the top three challenges you see families face when trying to embrace a whole food lifestyle? Finding the time to cook, uh, finding recipes that, that, that inspires them, finding a food blogger or a cookbook that they love, And then making a plan for success would be my three challenges. Challenge by challenge, how do you recommend people overcome each one of these? Like if you're you're working with me and I'm having these three challenges, what would you say? Um, Finding time to plan, um, taking advantage of 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there to do a little bit of food prep, whether it's cutting some vegetables, making a dressing, I have 15 minutes, or getting the kids involved, asking them to do something to help out for the family, having them look through a cookbook with you, bookmarking some recipes that look good to them, and Mm -hmm. um, setting aside some time. I mean, these recipes, my, the meals that I make are really easy. I mean, less than 30 minutes, but you need to make sure you have that 30 minute block to to make dinner and plan ahead. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So can you share your top three tips for anyone listening that wants to become a whole food family? Well, I think it's important to kind of 
see where you are in terms of how much added sugar your family is consuming. And um, this is not to feel guilt or shame, but it's hard to make changes if we don't know where we are. And when we're used to eating a lot of sugar, the whole foods taste really bland and boring. So it's hard to transition to a whole foods lifestyle when our um, taste buds are shaped to appreciate the sweets. So one of the first things I do when I work with clients is just to have um, parents take a just a day and see how much added sugar their family is eating and it's so easy to do because it's in everything and it just sneaks into everything. Um, and parents are often surprised it's sometimes 60, 80 grams of added sugar. And so once we have that awareness, we can slowly swap this out for this. And the easiest thing is to get rid of the liquid sugar. And if your kids love juice and they don't like water, then slowly diluting the juice with water slowly over time because that can make a difference. Um, and then once we, it doesn't take that long to reshape our taste buds. Um, I often share examples with my kids how I used to like um, chocolate milk and now I like, or the milk chocolate bars, I should say. And now I don't, they're too sweet and I like the dark chocolate. So giving examples to my girls how my tastes have evolved. I didn't like broccoli and now I do. Um, the growth mindset of our taste buds are always changing. And um, so once we've kind of started to reshape our taste buds and slowly introduce whole foods, um, the fruit, the apple, all of a sudden tastes a lot sweeter. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's so true. And I just, I find it so interesting. I don't know for you, but I've done the same thing with families that I've been working with where they add up the sugar and they are mind blown, but they also actually don't know the baseline. They don't know how much sugar is a correct amount. I know kind of, um, it's like, I think 25 grams, but that's also the same amount for us. And so, um, the, the doctor who wrote the incredible book, Sugar Proof, um, he has a really great, uh, more, you know, broken down amount. And so for my four-year-old, she's only supposed to be getting 11 grams of added sugar a day. And I did this challenge myself and she was some days at like 35 grams of, of added sugar, you know, based on whose house she was at or whatever. And so I think it's such a, it's a great way to start that process of becoming a whole food family to, to get that baseline. It's, it's so critical. So the last one is what are the top three things you wish every parent and child in America knew about feeding our children? That our kids watch us more than they listen to us. <laughs> so mm -hmm. modeling for our kids is really important. Sitting down and having a family meal, showing, even if the kids aren't eating the salad, showing them how delicious a salad can be. Um, so modeling is really important. And picky eating stage is normal. Most kids do go through a picky eating stage. The key to getting out of the picky 
uh, picky eating stage is to continue to expose them to the foods. So for example, if they don't like broccoli, continuing to expose them to broccoli throughout that stage. When we stop exposing them, they are never going to learn to like it. Um, so that is key in helping them get through the picky eating stage, which is very normal and common for most kids. And mm -hmm. then lastly, I love what Ellen Sutter has, uh, the division of responsibility. It is our job as parents to serve nutritious meals. It is our kids' jobs to decide if they are going to eat it and how much. So we cannot make our kids eat a certain food and we cannot make them eat a certain amount. It's just our job to feed them well. So I think once we remember those, our job and their job, it takes the pressure off of us and the pressure off of our kids and makes it a lot more enjoyable. <laughs> I, I could not agree more with that last statement. I like to say it's our job to teach our kids how to eat and it's not our job to make our kids eat what we're trying to teach them, but it's still our job to continue the teaching, right? Like if our child was a, a slow reader, we wouldn't just stop trying to help them read. <laughs> but if our child starts rejecting broccoli, I think especially in America, it's like three or four times, then all of a sudden we're like proclaiming to everyone, oh, oh, they're not a broccoli lover. Like for perpetuity often, like I have friends, I'm like, how many times has he tried mushrooms? He's not a, or not a vegetable lover. That one is my favorite. Cause I'm like saying you don't like vegetables is like saying, I don't like sauce. Like what kind of sauce? There's so many vegetables. So yes, I, I think that understanding where our job starts and ends, um, does take so much of the pressure off and the drama. There's no drama. You're going to serve the broccoli. They're not going to eat it. Great. More for me. Right. Leftovers tomorrow. Right. right. There's so many yeah. vegetables and there's so many ways to serve the one vegetable. Right. So I keep bringing up broccoli, but you can eat it raw, you can steam it, yeah. you can roast it, you can drizzle it with olive oil and salt, you can put it yeah. on top of pizza, you can put it in a soup. I mean, there's so many right. ways. And so it's just yeah. finding the right way. For example, my daughter was um, not liking rice these days. And I'm like, mm. rice. And so um, <laughs> I started adding coconut milk to the rice, which adds a nice mm. sweetness and creaminess. And I add yeah, um, so good. bone broth for some more protein and collagen. And then I mm -hmm. add in some cauliflower rice and um, they love it. So it's just yeah. finding different ways. It's constantly getting creative because our kids are always changing and evolving. And one day they yeah. like something. And one day they, they don't. So it's like, okay, now we got to try something else. <laughs> right. Yes, it's so true. I teach Stella to say, I don't like it today or I don't like it this way. And that gives her hope that she's going to like it tomorrow. And it gives her hope that she might like it if I prepare it a different way. And um, it, it really is game changing when we help them understand that there is such a variety and that's, that's really the spice of life, right? To, in food and in other, other parts of, of our, our lives. So the next part, um, sort of, I feel like this segment needs like a drum roll or something, because this is the one that really gets people fired up. Okay. But um, <laughs> all right, here we go. 
Unpopular opinions. We all have them, but now it's time to share them. So what is one opinion that you stand by that tends to fall into the unpopular category? I think we need to uh, intentionally create health. It doesn't just happen. Yeah. And I think it, on, in the Earth Food First platform, we focus a lot on culture. And um, I've just researched a lot about the, the American kid food culture. And it, again, through no fault of the parents, but it has allowed us to kind of lean on these crutches and these myths that kids can just eat healthy later in life, which is essentially what you're saying. And when I tell even some of my closest friends um, that that's just not the case, it's, it's like their, their microbiome is most critical from ages like zero to you know, three years old, or at least, and also up to 10 years old, it's, it's so important. And I think as parents, we, we do need to take more responsibility over the fact that it, it does matter. And that's hard because it adds to our already overburdened like load. Yeah, it's a hard job. It's, a, it's one of the hardest jobs that we have as parents. It's not easy. Yeah, um, it's but not. I, I see, I like to share that um, my first dose, and this was thanks to my parents, but my first dose of antibiotics was when I was 43 years old. I'm 44 now. Um, I had Lyme. I have Lyme. So I was on a lot of antibiotics. But that foundation that my parents set me up with was pivotal in never having to take it. That, that's so incredible. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewind back for a minute <laughs> because that's such an incredible statement that you just made that so few people, I think, could make. You said that you grew up in a macrobiotic home. Some of our listeners might not know what that means. Can you just give that little, that little um, definition of what, what is that that helped your microbiome at such a young age be so... Um, you know, healthful. Yeah. Well, we, we just ate a lot of whole foods. Uh, we didn't eat sugar or processed foods. I mean, we had some minimally processed foods, but, um, we were vegans at for a while, but then my, we were not thriving. <laughs> we were not thriving. Um, we, this, we kind of transitioned more to fish and then added chicken and, and things like that. But it was a whole foods first, approach. A lot of moms don't know, but we pass on some of our gut microbiome to our, to our children. And I mean, um, it's, yeah, it's incredible when we start realizing that it does matter and learning the tools that you're teaching, um, for how to, to, how to help our kids eat healthful in this crazy, crazy, very fast food world we're living in. All right. So the last unpopular question, can you share your philosophy on labeling kids as picky eaters? Um, do you believe that picky eating is more nature or nurture for most children? Yes. Yes. I think it's mostly, um, nurture. I think that, I've had kids in my cooking classes tell me they're picky eaters <laughs> because that's what they hear um, and to no fault of our own. Um, I'm sure I've labeled my kids unintentionally as well. Um, but I like to say instead of calling kids picky eaters, 
we're all just still learning to like a variety of different foods, which is what or you know selective eaters or hesitant eaters but um, I like the phrase we're all just still learning to like a variety of foods um, because they develop this identity um, I'm a picky eater I've had kids say I don't like vegetables and you know do you want to try this green bean is that a vegetable I'm not gonna try it because it's a vegetable <laughs> um, so just having that fixed mindset Carol Dwick talks about the fix versus the growth mindset and I think that's important for every area of life, having a growth mindset and not having the labels for any area of life. Yeah, I think that this one is, I see it just running rampant as a label that we freely throw out. And I do, I think it's another crutch in our culture that I would love to help dismantle because I agree with you. In our house, we call it learning eaters. Like, just like she's learning to read. I don't go around telling everyone like, if she was a slow reader, I wouldn't be like, oh, my slow reader. Like, I would never say that. That would be so demeaning. And we've sort of normalized that, like, saying you're a picky eater is okay. And I, I do. I think the kids hear it. And, and I think when we label them like that, and it's not, it's not a positive label, we limit them. And so, yeah, I think just embracing this idea that they're learning eaters and some kids are going to learn faster. Some kids are going to learn slower. And a lot of it depends on us and what we're how we are facilitating their food. Um, yeah, I think it's a, it's a very touchy subject, but I, I think it's one that does need to be addressed as we help families move along down this path towards um, eating more farm food than factory food, for sure. So I know you have these amazing guides that people can get on your website, but you also offer one-on-one -on -one coaching. Can you share a little bit about who might be a great fit for the guides versus your one-on-one -on -one coaching? Sure. The guides are designed, were designed with the intention of helping parents save time at the store because um, if you're ready to make cleaner swaps and clean out your pantry, um, reading all the labels takes a lot of time. So they were designed to help parents save time at the store all of the foods in my guides, they're packaged convenience foods, but they're a cleaner option, so they're either low to no sugar, um, they don't have any of the added junk, they're made with all real food ingredients, and they taste delicious. So that was the intention behind those guides. There's a measles essentials kitchen guide, there's a snack guide, there's a sweets and treats guide if you're ready to you know, swap out the Oreo cookies for a cleaner Oreo cookie. There are still delicious Oreo cookies out there um, that are made with real food ingredients that are low in sugar. So um, many options out there. And then for my coaching, it's one-on-one -on -one nutrition coaching for parents that are ready to um, transition to a more whole foods lifestyle. They're ready to reduce ultra-processed foods, increase the fruits and veggies and want more accountability and guidance and support. Okay, great. So you have something that's more of a deep dive if they're working one-on-one -on -one with you. And then um, you have your guides that are just sort of a little bit more high level. But I love that you created guides about healthy convenience foods because most of my friends don't cook. And when I ask them, what do you want me to create on the Earth Food First platform? They say exactly what you've created. So I'm very 
excited to be able to pass them along to you and your guides. Um, but within your coaching, can you just share, is there like one success story that you kind of can give to listeners as an example of how your program works and how it might help their kids? Yes. So I work with generally moms um, to help their kids. Um, often the kids have low energy or um, behavioral issues or um, just a lot of meltdowns or craving just a lot of high sugar, high carb foods like bread and, you know, typical, I mean, everybody loves bread and sugar. Yes. <laughs> so um, after, when we start to work together, we take inventory on the amount of sugar. We start with breakfast and then every session we kind of work through breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. I give them recipes to try and homework assignments as well as education and resources and just after a couple of weeks parents will notice a shift in their kids energy levels and mood and kids are more willing to try their cooking in the kitchen with their mom or dad and they're excited they try new foods that they love um, I'm working with somebody now who's um, really enjoying cooking now, which they hadn't done before, and it's a nice bonding experience together to do together. They found a muffin, a protein-rich muffin recipe that's just a great thing to grab for snacks or breakfast out the door that's just a much more improved option than the options that they were eating before. Yeah. Okay, that's great. That gives a very good picture of, you know, what that's like. And I think the accountability can be so huge. I know for me, I am a person that I do so well if I have accountability. Yeah. And as a busy mom, like being able to have a coach that I can, you know, hold me accountable, it's that's huge. Yeah. So that that's amazing. We'll definitely be posting, you know, links to all of your services in in the show notes. All right. So the last segment is one of my favorites because I love magic wands. It's called the magic wand segment. So the question is, if you could wave a magic wand, what one thing, habit, law, belief would you change immediately when it comes to America's current kid food culture? Well, that is a very big question and could go in so many different ways. But what came to me first was I wish that the um, ultra-processed foods cost more, and I wish that the cleaner, less processed foods cost less, because I, I do believe that we can eat healthy on a budget and eat whole foods, but um, the, you know, the, clean, the cleaner convenience foods are quite a bit more costly and it can make it it can be cost prohibitive for some um, so I wish that cost I wish those options were just less costly <laughs> I I could not agree more yes it's like if you want to eat clean but you're not someone who cooks all the time it is very expensive um, it just is and then that's it's very unfortunate so that is a great magic wand wish. So this has been an amazing conversation. I have learned so much. And I think one of my biggest takeaways from you has really been that cooking is like a golden key, it sounds like, to getting our kids excited about embracing a more whole food diet. 
Um, and so for all of those out there that still look at cooking as an annoying chore, mm-hmm. um, Misa could be a great resource, I think, for you to help um, kind of bridge that gap between I don't love to cook to I understand the importance and I, I know how to do it. Um, so we will get, we will list all of the ways to connect with you in our show notes. I know that you have uh, a fun lunch and learn series launching soon. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, I just, um, I'm looking forward to interviewing experts in the health and wellness field. I already interviewed a nurse practitioner in the functional medicine space who's also a mom. I'm looking forward to interviewing a meal prep person, giving us all the tips and, tri- tips and tricks, a life coach talking about um, mindset and habits, and I'm looking forward to interviewing you, a fellow health coach, talk all Thank things you. Um, kids and nutrition and how to feed our families well. Awesome. Well, I'm very excited for that interview. I got a quick little glimpse of the first one you did, which was with your husband. Um, And you kind of had this, uh, like a fun little story. You guys kind of have a little bit of an unconventional relationship. Is that right? Yeah, I just, he always brings the humor into things. And and he grew up in a, you know, a very typical standard American um, household. And so he's constantly joking. If you were to tell me 20 years ago that I'd be sitting here eating this and that and the other thing. Like he wants to write a stand-up comedy show of our life together, which I think would be very humorous. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, it is funny when you have someone who came from a, you know, is shocked that they're sitting there eating, what, you know, the shaved Brussels sprouts or whatever yeah. it is. My husband's not too dissimilar and I, I hold it as a badge of honor that he now eats every vegetable and his mom still will sit down at the table and say, you like that? He's like, <laughs> he's 38. And so that, that's how deep this kid, this kid food culture runs where she still considers him not a Brussels sprout lover. <laughs> so how and where can people connect with you online? I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Misa's Clean Kitchen. And my website is misascleankitchen.com. All right, great. So even though I am an earth food first advocate, I also love a great dessert sometimes. So we end each episode with sort of a thoughtful dessert of sorts by asking you to share either a favorite quote, book, or podcast with our audience. Yes. Well, I just finished reading Atomic Habits by James Clear for the second time. Uh, and I just love that for my own personal self as well as for my clients. He talks about the importance of just finding one little habit that's less than two minutes that you can do every day, even on the days when you don't feel like doing it. So as an example that I can think of is uh, after you come home grocery shopping and you take out all your vegetables, you know, the overarching goal is to wash and prep all your vegetables and put them in containers, but that's a big job. Um, So taking out one carrot, washing it, and putting it in the container is just the beginning. And once you do that, you'll start to get motivated and you'll see the benefits. But starting so small that it hardly feels like anything. I just love that kind of mindset. Yeah, I love that book as well. It is 
and I think it's changed so many people's lives. I know it changed my life in many different ways. So that is a great dessert to to end on. Um, well, I just want to truly, truly thank you from the bottom of my heart for the work you're doing in this world. Um, there cannot be too many moms or people trying to help shift families from being factory food uh, families to farm food families um, and just working to help protect our children's health through food. So I just really appreciate you and I appreciate your time today so much. Well, thank you so much for having me and thank you for all the work that you're doing as well. And as always, a big thanks to all of our listeners for taking the time to learn with us, question cultural norms, and for being bold in the face of change. Until next week, remember, what we normalize becomes normal. If you found value in this episode, it would mean the world if you would follow, rate, and review our podcast and share it with your favorite people who are also raising little humans. And if you want more Earth Food First content, head over to Instagram at Earth Food First. Bye now.